Hello everybody, I'm Ian Abernethy and welcome to the podcast. Uh, in this podcast it's a conversation with Stefan Kesting, which some of you have maybe already heard on uh, Stefan's podcast. Really good conversation, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, so for those who don't know, and I can't imagine that's anyone, but just in case, uh, Stefan is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner based in Canada. Uh, he runs GrappleArts.com, he's got a superb Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu YouTube channel, uh, very active on social media, I, you know, I really enjoy the content he puts out on Instagram. Uh, those who are members of the British Combat Association and World Combat Association will know that one of my roles within that group is to put the weekly newsletter together, uh, Combat Corner, and you'll know that I always include some content from Stefan within that. You know, his, his uh, BJJ videos are really popular with our uh, grappling contingent, our members that practice MMA and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and stuff as well. You know, really good stuff. Uh, Stefan also put out a video uh, recently, I think August-ish, something like that, so maybe not that recent, uh, uh, called Why uh, Karate Kata and Kung Fu Forms Are Almost Useless. Actually, I think it was the other way around. Why Kung Fu Forms and Karate Kata Are Almost Useless. So so check out that video. It, it's an it's a, uh, interesting video. And I was on holiday at the time, wasn't checking my phone, wasn't checking social media. Uh, I come back to where we're staying uh, to get a grab a bite to eat, uh, pick up my phone, and there is a lot of messages about this video. Have you seen this new video from Stefan, what do you think, you're going to reply, uh, one or two people not happy about it, uh, so I thought, well, I'll watch the video, so I watched the video, I know Stefan to be uh, articulate and very logical in all that he does, I watched the video and thought, no, I, I get the points that he's making, um, obviously I disagree with the conclusion, uh, mainly because I disagree as to what Kata is, but to be fair to Stefan, the definition of Kata is using is one that is widespread within karate circles, it's one that, you know, me and people like me have been critiquing for a while. And, you know, he does have a background in uh, traditional Chinese systems as well. So he has practiced forms for a long period of time. So he, he does know what he's talking about on, on, on this issue. And if you watch the video, you, you'll see that comes across. Uh, so uh, I, I, when I watched the video, I thought, you know, I get it. I get where he's coming from. Little more to say on it, really. Uh, and then there was a message picked up on my phone from Instagram, which was Stefan. So I messaged Stefan, uh, Stefan Kestin. So, oh, great, you know, get to chat to him. And it's always nice to chat to someone whose work you've seen, you know. So uh, we had a bit of a, a back and forth on Instagram, and he told me that uh, listeners to his podcast had said that they would like to see me on his. And as a result of the recent video, he thought it would be good for us to have a conversation around the value of Kata, you know, sort of great opportunity. So uh, we put a date in the diary, which took a little while because of, like, his travelling and diary and my travelling and diary. So, uh, but we're able to do that, uh, like, I think maybe a month or so ago. Uh, we sat down and had the conversation you, that you're about uh, you're about to hear. So uh, just a couple of quick things before we get into it that I, I, I want to point out because I think they're important. It's, firstly, I, I think it's fantastic that Stefan's audience, who are probably mainly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioners or MMA practitioners, I would guess, because that's Stefan's background, and the same that most people listening to this are probably traditional martial artists. I, I think it's great that they were requesting to hear the other side of the argument, you know what I mean, or, or, or to hear an alternate viewpoint. So, I mean, hats off to them for doing that. And then it's great that Stefan went, you know, okay, I'll, I'll have that conversation. I'll I'll reach out to Ian and we'll have a chat. And and for me, it was just so refreshing um, to chat around these topics with someone who um, doesn't agree with me, who doesn't hold the same views that I uh, that, that I have, and yet nevertheless have a conversation which we both found interesting and enjoyable, and I thought brought out uh, lots of key points. And of course, you know, uh, Stefan came to the conversation with the view that karate cut has no value, or almost no value. 
Uh, obviously, I came to the conversation with a very different view, and we left with the same views. You know, at no point did Stefan go, "Okay, Ian, you've you've won me over." At no point did I go, "Oh my God, Stefan, you're right. I'm getting rid of Kata." Uh, we we maintained our views throughout, yet nevertheless, we're able to kind of bounce them back and forth in, in a way that I hope you'll find uh, fun and enjoyable. And I really did enjoy talking to Stefan, and I, I want to pick his brains on a few other things in the future as well. So we've agreed that we will we will come back and and talk together again because the initial feedback from from Stefan's uh, Stefan's already put this conversation out the initial feedback has been uh, been a positive one you know people um, again no matter which side they, they they ultimately fall on did enjoy the conversation so and I did enjoy talking to him a really nice guy and it's it's nice to uh, um, again to get a chance to uh, chat with someone whose work you've uh, you've been a fan of you know so yeah I hope you enjoy it uh, again thanks for Stefan's audience for suggesting this uh, thank you so much to Stefan for uh, organizing it and for allowing me to to put it out uh, to you guys too so I'll now hand you over, and this you'll hear it as, as Stefan put it out. So this is the entirety of the podcast as Stefan put it out. And I hope this uh, background introduction has added some value for, for my audience. Yeah, so, yeah, enjoy. As I always say to my own students, there's only two things still in a fight. That's unconscious people and people who are about to be unconscious. <laughs> Hey there, I'm Stefan Kesting, and this is the Strenuous Life Podcast. Today's guest is Ian Abernathy, who's a renowned expert in the application of karate kata. The way that we met, the way that we hooked up to do this podcast is actually kind of interesting in and of itself. Months ago, I posted on the martial arts forum on Reddit asking for suggestions of people who should appear on my podcast. What did people want to hear? Who did people want to have on my podcast? And Ian's name came up again and again. And at the same time, or a little bit after that, I released a video on my self-defense tutorials channel called Why Kung Fu Forms and Karate Kata Are Mostly Pretty Useless. It's a fun little video. It's truly what I believe. And it encapsulates my thoughts about the applicability of Kung Fu forms and Karate Kata. So at the same time that I was being asked to have Ian on my podcast, he was being inundated with people sending him this video going, come on, attack Stefan, you know, defend karate. And so he was being asked to launch an attack on me at the same time as I was being asked to bring him on my podcast to present an alternate point of view. So we met up. And this podcast is the result of giving the people what they asked for. So, Ian, kata is useless for combat. Prove me wrong. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I think you, you, you both, it can be both wrong and right. Because I think it, when I've had these discussions with people, it, it fundamentally comes down to uh, what do people uh, mean by kata. Uh, and and I think th th that's mm. often the, the crux of these uh, these issues. So uh, where I'm probably in full agreement uh, with you is, I think kata as an alternative to life practice, or as a isolated practice from a wider training ma matrix, is useless. Yeah, uh, and unfortunately, that's the way that the majority of people, I would say, practice it. It, 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 it was always supposed to be. Uh, a form of supplementary solo practice that would support uh, a wider form of training. Spe in, in karate, anyway, I'm talking about specifically from my the, the art that I come from. And we should establish my bias as well, which is I have a little bit of karate training, but most of my background was in various kung fu systems. 
and some Campo systems. And so that's, you know, if we're talking past each other at some point, that may be what's going on. There might be a, a cultural difference or background difference here and as I'm, well. I'm sure that's going to happen because that, that, that happens within karate as well. I mean, I can have conversations with my fellow karateka and we can completely talk past one another, even using the common terminology. So I think, I think what, what, what I'd maybe do is, uh, if I can maybe quickly define what the process is. Or, or the process that I see it of which kata should be a part, and that, that might help. So um, I, I, I always say there's four stages to it, and, and this isn't my thing. This is something that if you look at the old texts that a lot of the, you know, your Mayagis and your Mabunis and your Funakoshis, the, the, this kind of expresses their way of thinking as well. So um, there's, there's the solo form itself. That's one element of it. So you've got this supplementary form of solo practice. The other thing that you should be doing as part of the CASA process, uh, process is training those applications uh, with a partner. Now, even that's not enough because some people do that, but it's done in a very uh, compliant, um, uh, st structured way. There's no aliveness to it. There's no variation with it. Um, so we need to go one step beyond that. So the next one is that we identify the underlying principles that the example of the cutter gives so we can adapt and vary it. So the, the, the cutter is supposed to show like, here's an, an example of a concept, an idea, and a principle that you're supposed to play with. And then the key bit is that you gain live experience of doing it as well. So um, the cutter is there to support and inform live practice. It's not as an alternative to live practice, which I think is where most people go wrong. So now, when you say live practice, different, and that might be a terminology thing again, different people might be hearing different things. Like when an Aikido person says randori, and a judo person says randori, and a jiu-jitsu guy says sparring or, or training, they're meaning three or four different things. So what do you mean by live practice? Well, well, uh, like, well any, any drill, drill where it's, it's, it's unpredictable, and, and there's lots of different types of live practice, depending on the level of the student and what the objective is. So that, that can be down to um, isolating a specific technique and do it in a, a way where the enemies or partners resisting to a degree. That can also mean uh, full-on, entirely unscripted things where you're uh, looking to submit one another or you're looking to escape from one another or whatever whatever the, the objective of the given drill is. So if I can maybe give it, uh, um, like, like um, let's give a, an example. So if uh, we take, a, let's hikate, that, that's a common one. So in kata, we've got this thing of hand going to hips. And, and the fundamental job of that is it's pulling a limb out of the way so you can land your shot. So what you'd need... So that we're talking about the classic karate reverse punch here where you're punching with one hand and the other hand is retracting onto the hip and everyone makes fun of it <laughs> because you'd get your face punched in if you tried that in real life. Absolutely. And, and, and that's completely correct because, again, I'm not here to like, defend the indefensible, but if your hands have nothing to do, they shouldn't be on your hip. The, the only time they should be pulling is if they've got something to pull. So that could be because I've grabbed hold of the guy and I have a feel for where he is, or more often than not, it's because I'm grabbing a limb, I'm pulling the limb down or across or whatever it happens to be so I can open up a line for my shot. So in the cut of that, obviously you see it as a hand on a hip, but in application, um, we're supposed to be like clearing a clear path. So if people understand that, that's great, but then they need to do a live drill which requires them to do that against a contested partner. So what you'll do is, for example, one drill you could do is say, right, you're going to be at close 
range. You, have, you both have to keep one foot in this mat or I'm going to physically tie it together is something I've done before as well, using belts. And then what you need to do is you need to land shots on one another. So immediately what happens is people realise that having the hand in a passive guard is not a great idea. You're far better having your hands active at that distance. So you, you'll naturally see those things that people have, will have drilled and rehearsed in kata, you know, gripping, parrying, keeping the arms away, starting to come, come forwards. So there's not one type of life practice. There's lots of different life practice. So we'll do, you know, we'll do things like that where we'll isolate the skill, but then you do protecting others, escaping from groups, um, contested throwing against one another, which again starts to look a little bit like judo randori. It's no good if you just practice the, 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 uh, the throws compliantly. There's throws within the forms, but you need to take them out of the forms to practice them against someone who doesn't want to be thrown as well, you see. So, yeah, there's a whole mix of things. So now let's just jump back into the history a little bit because you're arguing that the reverse punch, the classic reverse hand on the hip reverse punch, that that hand that's going to the hip is a pulling motion. And I can accept that that's a combatively useful motion. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you want to go to a modern-day example? Hockey players do this all the time. <laughs> right? <They're, laughs> Spoken like a true Canadian. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> well, I, I don't actually follow hockey at all, but once in a while I see highlights of hockey fights, and I've talked to hockey, you know, NHL players and tried to quiz them about the details of you know the strategic and the the, the technical ways that they're fighting and I don't couldn't care less about uh, uh, how they skate around and how they uh, shoot a puck but the, the fighting it interests me so you know they're they're pulling with one hand and they're blocking with one hand and they're they're trying to drill the guy in the face with the other but how do we know that this a hundred years ago in Japan two hundred years ago in Okinawa is what they meant to do. How do we know that they weren't fundamentally, that that reverse punch was something that they had learned and kept on doing just because of tradition? Or maybe it was the, the, the next best way of punching compared to the old way they had of punching, in which the other hand, I don't know, the other hand went up straight up into the air. And then somebody say, hey, you'll get more power if you pull it back. How do we know that they m meant to pull? And that is the application of that movement. Yeah, well, well and, and there's, uh, there, well, there's two ways um, that, that we do. There's one is historic and the other one is pragmatic. So, so the, the first one, um, the one thing we've got, of course, is that it, the, the karate, but basically all it did was it decided that judo is popular, we're going to rip off judo. So we start wearing geese, we stick dough at the end, we start using the belt system, we just wholesale rip judo off because that's really, really popular. And it was that version of karate that, that, that spread um, through the university system. And, 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 and We're talking shorter, essentially shorter kind. And, it's, yeah, and, and then the, the wave that came after that, because they copied, realising if you want to, you know, if we're going to flow with the zeitgeist here, this is what people want. It's the only kind of karate that's going to fly. Now, now there are examples of other masters of that time, like Chucky Motobu, who wanted nothing to do with that. He wanted it kept as a, a pragmatic fighting art. So if we look at his books, which weren't written for the mainstream, if you like, you can see him doing it. You know, you can see him um, gripping and controlling. He, he, had, he had this thing where he said you should never have a dead hand, a shite, which is a hand idle doing nothing. You know, he, he said it was a, a, an anathema to karateka, you don't do it. So the idea that the hand is supposed to be pulled back onto the hip and doing nothing would contradict that. And then if you look at, even at like Funakoshi's early works, he, he talks about, you know, the, the purpose of being hikate to, um, to, to grab and to twist the enemy's limbs. He re records that in Renten Goshin Karate Jitsu, which is his 1920s book. 
And interestingly, his, his writings by uh, talking about the 1950s, Funakoshi's largely been pushed to the side. And in his introduction to his revised books, he's, he's in there saying, yeah, I'm not really happy with this, and I don't really think this is the way that karate should be. And so he kind of lost the track of it. So that, that's one. We've got these historic references to the old use of Hikate in the early writings and the writings of those who didn't buy into the, the university system version of it, if you like. And the other one, which I think is obviously more um, compelling, is we're left with um, two, if we put all that to one side and ignore all of that, we're left with two assumptions. Um, pulling your hand to your hip when there's nothing in it is unequivocally dumb. You know, it, it, it's a dumb thing to do. So we have to assume that we today are way more intelligent than those poor deluded fools in the past, or we are misunderstanding what they, they did. So I, I always, my view is that the, the masters of the past, you know, so you take someone like um, uh, Matsumura was a bodyguard to three Okinawan kings. You know, you don't get that kind of employment unless you've got some kind of combative skill. So if he was dumb enough to think, well, I'll pull my hand down my hip and leave my jaw wide open and da 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 da, -da um, it's unlikely he would have got that job. So pragmatically, we're going to say, well, if it's a dumb idea to pull that hand to the hip, what would it be a good idea to do? And then we can say, well, we can use proprioception to locate the target in the mess, and we can also use that hand to clear those those limbs so you've got the historic argument then the pragmatic argument you see and, and one thing that i will say as well is I, i've always said that you can i'm not an historian i'm a pragmatist so if if somebody came up with a, a document from a 400 years ago that said uh, you're doing this bit wrong they intended to do it this way and, and and if i believed the way i was doing it was more functional i'd still stick with the way i would be doing it you know oh you heretic yeah and, and well this is it you see now to some people that's it i am a blasphemer i'm i'm, I'm a heretic but but again like funakoshi you know the father of modern karate you know he, he's he said you know uh, the world changes times change and the martial arts must change too you know that, that's that's a quote from him and and i i do get this stuff I, I get this quite a bit is i'll, I'll for example bizarrely I, I use focus mitts a lot in my drills and because they're not a traditional piece of kit i do get some flack for that would you believe you know so or would it be better if you had like two separate makiwaras and you were holding those in your hands so one person's training their grip and the other person's training their knuckles would that make people you, you know what you after this podcast you and i will develop uh makiwara focus mitts and uh we'll sell them on amazon and we'll we'll uh we'll make a million dollars there's a huge there's market. A million dollar idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's, a, there's a big market. Yeah, so, so you know, the idea is we, we should be um, advancing and moving things forward because that, that's what they did in the past. So, the, again, you know, we, we talk about the idea of kata. Well, I think one of the things is, well, is what do you define as traditional? Well, when I look back at the history, the history has been one of constant change and innovation. So that's the tradition. You know, no, no right. one ever intended to kind of keep it static and freeze in, in, in amber. You know, I, I don't want to be part of an anachronistic reenactment society. I want something that's cutting edge and functional. And I believe that's traditional as well to, to try and to try and do that, you see. So, yeah, no. So, I, I, so let me just ask you. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say the heretic thing, you know, like you said it in jest, but, but, but I do get that. But I, I don't feel I am. Yeah. Just to go back to the point of so-and-so master in the past uh, used this technique and he was rewarded for it or he had a million students or he was a bodyguard to this or one time he defeated 18 Mongol invaders by himself. You know, the, the mythology that develops around this and, and then the 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 justification that's given to the techniques that have come down from him, supposedly unchanged, 
I have a problem with that in, in one sense because it, it kind of denies the possibility that knowledge is increasing and improving. I mean, you, I, and I, I come from, obviously, I'm heavily embedded in the jiu-jitsu scene now, and I see how things change, and I see how the presence of something like YouTube, if, if you go compete in a, in a jiu-jitsu tournament tomorrow and you have a new way of wrist-locking, uh, say, and you go wrist-lock somebody and you win a tournament, then the day after tomorrow, there's going to be 500 people practicing it, trying to reverse engineer it and figure it out. And that, that wrist lock may not have existed, at least existed in you know, popular consciousness. So what about this idea that techniques just get better over time, that pulling your hand to the hip, and I, 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 we're belaboring this one motion because there's, there's a million other examples, but what if that was the best technology available at the time and it was better than what they did before, but now that you know we've we've done the experiment, we've pitted like a Shotokan karate guy against a, a boxer. We've pitted Thai boxing against pure, pure Thai boxing against pure jiu-jitsu. And now we're in the mixed martial arts phase where the, you really can't say, oh, this guy's a judo guy anymore because all the judo guys have trained in Thai boxing and all the, you know, Lyoto Machida has trained in sumo and jiu-jitsu and Thai boxing. So he's not really a karate guy. So, the, yeah, this idea that techniques improve over time and especially in the modern era because there's so much cross-pollination and if a if a boxer from Siam a Thai boxer fought some Okinawan fishermen in the 1800s whoever won the rest of the world wouldn't have heard about it and we would have never absorbed the knowledge that maybe it's better to hold the hands like this or maybe it's better to kick like that you know I, th I think that's that, that's that's a valid point so I, I would I would um again divide that into two two streams of thought so 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 one is you've got is that undoubtedly um we live um currently this is the best time to learn martial arts has ever been as you say someone can uh, use a technique um design a drill whatever it is you throw it on youtube and and again as you say the next day you, you've got other people practicing on the other side of the world so uh, and it would be foolish for anyone to go okay i'm going to ignore these advances in the, the mist um, uh, a misconstrued idea of keeping things pure. You know, the idea that things always um, um, uh, degenerate. Well, I, I don't believe they do. I, I would believe that due to uh, improved training methods, improved equipment, uh, people are probably training more effectively, uh, hitting harder, hitting more effectively than, than they were in the past. Because as we say, like you've got the focus mitts and things like that. You've got kit that allows you practice in a way that a makiwara doesn't. So on that side of things, things have definitely uh, advanced and people should take notice of those uh, the, those advances and if something can be shown to be working well it's foolish not to to adopt it and again you know if you go back to the past the old masters were keen to encourage us to do this it's like this generation after that that, that, that didn't uh, I, I think that so that's one thing that I, I would agree on I think the other thing is that we always need to be mindful of uh, what are we training for in any given instance so uh, yes so, 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 so this is it so if I so for example um, if I was to try and use the techniques of the cutter to outfight and I'll, I'll give a quote from this right so this this is uh, Motobu the guy I mentioned before right um, this is what he said to one of his students he said he said the techniques of the cutter have their, their limits they were never intended to be used 
used against a warrior in a battlefield or an athlete in an arena. They are, however, very effective against someone who doesn't understand the defensive strategy being employed against them. And there's also this one of the old masters, a, a guy called um, Anko Itosu, who wrote this uh, in 1908. He wrote, um, he says, uh, karate is not intended to be used against a single adversary. It is a method of avoiding injury by using the hands and feet should one by chance be confronted by a villain or ruffian. So uh, th th there's no doubt that the way martial artists fight each other has, has radically altered. I mean, even... Um, Within discipline, you know, the way karate people fight each other now is not the way they did in the 1980s. It's entirely different. And, and, and then, of course, when you start talking about, you know, the, the fact that MMA has came along and allowed us to compare things cross-discipline, then that's a, a whole another another level. That's changed radically. But, but if we're staying focused on the self-defense side of things, that hasn't changed much. Now, laws have changed, fashions have changed, weapons have changed. But the way criminals interact um, is largely similar. So, so we we, we don't need to overcomplicate the issue there, I think, is what w was working 100 years ago will work just as well in that five seconds of explosive chaos that self-defense involves. So it depends what you're training for, what your objective is. But in, in any area, you know, I, I agree with you. We shouldn't be ignoring that. It's the ego to judge's decision after uh, three, five-minute rounds, my friend. <laughs> if, if somebody jumps me in the street, 15 minutes later, the judges will pronounce me the winner with a split decision. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, but it's it's you know, it's it's the you know the 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 objective, and, and I, I think again, people are fairly um, consistent on that. You know, if you if you talk to people who've worked as as, as doormen, bodyguards, and police officers, um, that side of things is is fairly consistent. It's not it's not changing a lot because. You know, criminals try to overwhelm me with violence that you don't expect to have happened. They use numbers, they use weapons, they use surprise, and that's a very effective tactic for them. So it's not like, you know, the crime statistics don't show an epi epidemic of triangle chokes or Superman punches since the advent of the UFC. You know, it's largely as, as was. Mm -hmm. The, uh, although, although I do know a sheriff whose pat-down procedures have changed post-advent of jiu-jitsu slash UFC... Uh, where they no longer, they used to, when they put somebody up against the wall, they used to jam a leg in between their feet and pat them down. They don't do that anymore because now they're worried about rolling knee bars. But who knows whether that's one trainer who knew what a rolling knee bar was, who then modified, like, I don't know how many sheriffs actually, you know, got their legs destroyed by rolling knee bars. Uh, but, see, that, that, that makes sense to me. I mean, if he's aware of a vulnerability, they can, they can happily... Um avoid well uh, then, then 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 why not but 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 as you say as, as far as i'm aware there's, there's not that ep epidemic of, of of that happening sure well okay so how much then does mma inform your karate practice right now i mean it's, it's ubiquitous it's everywhere i'm sure you watch it and so how does that change what you do when you go out and train or when you go out and teach uh, it, it will to a degree. I, I did a podcast maybe 10 years ago on, on three things that traditional martial artists could learn from MMA. Because um, I, I do, there's several things I admire about it, uh, which I, I, but these aren't things I've got specifically from MMA, if this makes sense. I'm just talking about large ESO things. But, but in, like you said, everything gets tested by effect. If it's not working, we stop doing it. That, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Um, it's always measured by personal results. There's no appealing to authority or, you know, this guy could do it, so therefore I, I can. You know, you mentioned Machida, so within the karate world, that happened. You know, Machida, 
you know, does well, and then people go and see karate works. I think, no, all Machida's proven is that Machida works well. You know what I mean? You can't say that the guy who spends 45 minutes practicing kata on his own isn't going to do well in the UFC because of Machida's success, you know. There's, there's, there's those kind of things. And physical conditioning is well-valued within, uh, within um, MMA. I also think what I was lucky was uh, MMA has... It was uh, here in the UK at the time, in the 1990s, when MMA was finding its feet, and around the same time, two of my teachers were starting to uh, push what we call the reality revolution in the UK, pushing Jeff Thompson, Peter Constantine, pushing that the way most martial arts approach self-defense doesn't work. So that, that created almost like a perfect storm, if you like, that, that I was able to ride a wave on because then people did start, to, okay, we need, maybe need to question what we're doing because MMA is providing an, an empirical experiment. And these guys are saying that, you know, the way things have been practiced is not functional. So it all opened a door for me in, in that way. But, but I wouldn't say it's got a massive influence. I mean, there's certain things, like, for, for example, um, uh, the, what would now be called the Superman punch, which uh, is, is a technique that we do drill, and, we, and it does go under that name. There's a variant of it in uh, Kimura, not Kimura, the judo Kimura, but Kimura, the karate Kimura, designed these set combinations, and there's, there's something similar in there. Um, but, but then again, I've, I've, I've taken that and, and run with that. So to some degree, and again, if you see something clever, you know, that it'll, it'll invariably find its, its, its way in, but not, not massively, because again, it depends on your training objectives. One thing that I always think about when I'm considering different martial arts or considering different martial artists is, and I've mentioned on the podcast before, is what Daniel Nasanto said is that a martial art is three things. It's the techniques, it's the training methods, and it's the training equipment. So we might have the world's best punch. Let's, for the sake of argument, and say that the left hook from boxing is the best punch to knock somebody out. I mean, we can argue about that, but let's, let's say that it is. And we might not be in disagreement about that, but then how you go and train your left hook and how I go train my left hook could be completely different. And at the end of it, if your training method is better than my training method, you will have an effective technique and I won't because of the training method. And then if you have access to focus mitts and heavy bags and uh, I'm trying to think of other tools you would use to develop your uh, your left hook, um, I don't know, uh, head, light head gear so you could practice it in sparring and gloves so you can practice it in sparring and I have nothing. I just have my bare hands and an empty room then you will have a better technique because you have better training methods. Like you have a training partner, you might be sparring it, you might be drilling it. I'm doing it in the air repeatedly by myself. And you would have a better left hook because you have better training equipment. Does that, is that a sort of a way of thinking about it that you use at all? That, um, yeah, uh, yes, I, I remember watching a YouTube video where he explained that, and so, um, and I think, yeah, it's a, that makes total sense to me. So, so, so there, there's certain things where, you know, if a technique can be improved, uh, then, well, I'll give an example of this. He's, um, uh, one of my teachers has a way of using his hip that he calls double hipping. As soon as I learned that method of double hipping, I thought I can hit harder and faster with this. I adopted it. So, so, so technically there's, there's, there's a change that I, I've, I made there, you know, that, that because this is demonstrably more effective. 
a change in the technique. A change in the technique, yes, because because it's um, um, the, 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 the 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 technique itself. You know, it still goes by the same label. It still has the same function, but there's a bigger engine in it now because of that hip movement. Now, for some people, a, a traditionalist, that would be that would be oh, you know, you, it's no longer pure. I, I always like Ed Parker's thing on that. He says, you know, pure karate is when pure fist meets pure face. You know, it, <laughs> it, it's a great phrase. You know, because it just cuts through all the um, the tr- tradition and stuff. So if we if we're trying to have the best possible technique we can have. If someone can show a demonstrably better way of doing it, um, then then we'd be foolish not to to, to take that on. And, and that, that same goes, as you say, for for the kit and the training methods um, too. You know, if we can get better kit, better training methods. And it's one of the things that, that, that I have got from like um, uh, various forms of, of, of cross training that I've done as well. Is they'll sometimes be. Uh, it's, you don't necessarily come back with new techniques, but sometimes it'd be new ways of practice, you know, that you'll bring back in because these demonstrably yield better results. And, and, and I know that for some traditional martial artists, they would never do that. But for me, and I, I do firmly regard myself as a traditional martial artist, I will do that. And the reason I will do that is because that's what the people who founded my art do. You know, it's pragmatically and it's got this historic basis as well. I'd be, I'd be dumb not to, even if the past masters didn't. You know, it would be dumb of me not to. Yeah, no, if we can make it better, we should make it better. Yeah, and even this idea of pure is ridiculous because how many mythologies of martial arts start out with, yeah, this guy went and trained with five different people or five different masters or, what well, you know, and then combined them all and brought the best techniques from seven different martial arts or 32 different martial arts. And, or even, I mean, I've been told, by instructors in the past, not to cross-train at other schools, not to show anything to other schools. And then in the next sentence, the guy's talking about how he trained at different schools. So <laughs> the this whole idea of pure is ridiculous because nobody who's telling you to be pure was themselves pure. You know, it's, it's kind of a variation of let those who have sin among you cast the first stone. Let those who are completely pure and whose lineage is entirely pure among you demand purity. I got to work on that analogy, but I think you see what I mean. I I, I like it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, well, and this is the thing you see. This is, I mean, um, what became known as karate was an eclectic mix. You've got a mix of Okinawan systems, a mix of Japanese systems, a mix of Chinese systems. It all gets lumped together. It's got various strands. Someone sticks the label on it, uh, and, and then suddenly that's when people want to, you know, preserve it in in amber but I, I, I don't think that that's good and as you say it's just all, all martial arts like to have their own mythologies you know and it's good to look at those mythologies so we understand what they were trying to say but but for me the martial arts are far more interesting and far better if we can just cut through it and get get rid of a lot of it so for the karate it's the Shaolin temple myth is the one that keeps coming up all the time you know and it's demonstrably false in karate it's because that's that's the under one of the underlying myths of kung fu I didn't realize that it was that heavily embedded in the karate world as well. Oh yeah, no, we, we again, we'll, we'll, we'll you know. <laughs> we'll, okay, so take take me take me through the mythology, please. Once upon a time. Yeah, that's right. No, no, we <laughs> we, we stole that because it's a it's a good mythology, right? So what well, what well, so what you've got, for example, right? So in 1908, you've got Itosu wrote his his letter to the Okinawan authorities. The opening line of that letter is, "Karate did not come from Buddhism or Confucianism." So it instantly goes, no historical, no religious link here at all. Later on people realize it, it can be, and for the same reason that happened in the Chinese systems, it can be effective marketing. So, so that they, they you know, let, let's claim that the head of one of our major religions was also the guy who formulated our system. So I always say it'd be like me as an Englishman saying I can trace this art back to King Arthur. 
you know, it'd be the same, right. you know, and, and it helps you sell it to, to give it. I'm sure somebody somewhere in England has tried to have the Arthurian martial arts. I, I'm, if they haven't already, I'm sure that will come up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, 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 so that uh, mythology was kind of stolen. And, and then in the early days, what you get is you get people using it, uh, like Funakoshi does this. He says, um, I don't know if this is true or not. But it's been said that karate finds its origins in. So he kind of tries to have his cake and eat it. He tries to have the 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 kudos, if you like, of having this this mythological link. You know, these systems developed and comes through China and comes to Okinawa, and you know, he tries to have it, but at the same time acknowledging that it's probably not historically correct. So as you know, I mean, it all comes from a forged Chinese text. You know, it's it's completely not true but yeah karate tries to oh, I, I didn't know that take me through that aspect of it please yeah so so i'll have to um as i, I can't remember the exact dates but i, th I think um there was uh so budimara the legend is that budimara this uh, i know i'm mispronouncing that i can never get this cumbrian accent to so that was when bodhidharma but uh, okay some so some, on, yeah. some dude some dude from india wanders his way over to china that's correct. So what Stefan said, that, that, that guy makes his way to, um, to, to, to India, finds that the monks aren't fit and healthy. What he therefore does is then he gives them exercises to do, uh, and this becomes the basis of Shaolin Kung Fu. And of course, you know, uh, he's also the founder of Zen Buddhism, which is, you know, a, a hugely influential religion, and therefore it's nice to tie those two together. Um, but but this, the, the first time that there are old texts that mention, uh, make reference to Bodhimara, they make reference to the Shaolin Temple, and they make no reference to any connection between the two. The first time this appears is in a text, I think it's called the Muscle Change Classic, and I can't remember the exact dates, but I'm thinking 15th century, it's somewhere around there, uh, and, and in that text, this is where it's repeated, and, and, and it's supposedly uh, uh, Bodimara's own writing, own, own guidance, it's now any serious historian has looked at it and gone, this is complete bunkum, it's completely untrue, and then uh, in, I think again in early 1900s, there was uh, a popular um, series of novels, like pretty much like, like David Carradine's Kung Fu type thing, you know what I mean? That, that kind of thing, but set in, in China, this idea of, a, uh, as I understand it, a, a wandering monk who, you know, again, makes reference to this, you know, this Shaolin link, uh, which, and, and again, from there, a lot of the martial artists picked it up and ran with it, but it's been completely debunked, you know, this, this Zen Buddha link um, on all fronts is, is, is completely debunked, and yet a lot of traditionalists really hold on to that because they somehow feel it's important. Mm -hmm. So what is historically knowable about the systemic roots of karate today? Like, what do we know for sure uh, the fighting system? Because obviously it would, it, just, it would have been a syncretic system back in the day because Fred down the at the next village over did this cool movement with his foot and it knocked out his neighbor. And, uh, you know, Susie up the beach you know, used her elbow in this way. So at some point it would have been syncretic. So what do we know for sure that's not debatable? Well, um, well very little. You know, it's, it's, it's like a, a lot of history. We, we do have, um, obviously, a lot of the old masters writing where they tell the stories that they've been told. But in terms of, like, uh, first-hand accounts, there are, there are very, very few. So uh, to, to give one, you know, just as an example of how we have to piece all this stuff together... Um, there's a karate form called Kushanku, 
which is allegedly made by a guy called Tode Sakagawa, who trained with a Chinese martial artist called Kushanku. We are lucky that there was a ship's captain who ran his ship ashore, and in the documentation where he's describing his trips to Okinawa, he mentions that on a visit to Okinawa, he once saw a Chinese martial artist uh, called Kushanku uh, give a demonstration in the square of where the Shuri region, which is where this cat has evolved. Uh, it mentions that he was very good at grappling, very good at controlling the enemy with one hand while hitting with the other, and very good at piercing movements with the feet, which we assume to mean kicking. So that, that, that's what we've got. We've got some references to like, uh, the, like the Babishi, which is this old Chinese text. But, but again, the politics are at play there. I know a lot of historians have looked at it and find that as this, this old Chinese text, it's odd that for texts of the time, it doesn't have a section on weapons. It doesn't have a sections on fighting in, as a militia. So there's a suspicion that maybe the karate guys kind of just got hold of a Chinese text and edited it to their own. So we do know it's an eclectic mix. We do know it draws heavily on Chinese uh, influence we do know it was an art of the upper classes for people, you know, not the peasants that, that's again another one that we get debunked um, anyone who practiced it was, was fairly wealthy and fairly in, you know, high standing uh, we do know there was an indigenous art like a grappling art called Tagumi which had an influence um, and, 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 you know, but, but it's a, you know, what degrees and uh, there's no video cameras obviously back at the time. So, you know, we, and pretty much everything is debatable. Some things we can be more confident about than others, but there's, there's, there's very little, um, first-hand accounts. Okay. Well, let's get out of the historical aspect. And so here you are in the 21st century and you've got this, these kata, uh, you've got, depending which system of karate you practice, you've got different numbers of kata. Why kata? What is more effective about using kata in conjunction with the other things than not? Why not just go directly to the applications and then to the live training? Yeah, well, um, which a lot of systems do. And to my observation, they don't suffer from having done that. You know, so so I, I wouldn't say that uh, if a system doesn't have kata, that it must have kata. Uh, I, I, so I'm not, not making that argument. For, for, but for those systems that, that do, and a lot of this comes down to personal taste. You know, we, we all find an art that has a training method and ethos and everything that kind of appeals. But for, for those of us that do use it, the reason we would continue to use it um, is threefold really. The first thing is it provides us with our, our syllabus. So you've got these little mini solo routines, these two person drills that are reenacted solo and put end to end. So by working the way through the cat, we get to explore this, um, syllabus. So that, that's, that's one thing that it does. It provides the, the syllabus. The second thing that it gives us is on the days where we haven't got a training partner, um, there's no one to train with. We can whack the bag. We can do some weights. We can do some stretching. We can also do a bit of kata. So we've got a way of physically moving, uh, using visualization, which reenacts mm -hmm. some of the solo drills we're doing partners. That helps. It's not vital. Sort of, sort of like a, a shadow boxing type of thing. Exactly. That's what it's, it's set because it's mirroring the drills. But in addition to more free flowing, uh, type of shadow boxing, yes, it serves largely the same purpose as that. Uh, and then the, the other reason that we do it is because it allows us to practice with, with full intent. So um, for certain techniques, if you're doing it with a partner, it's one of these things that we kind of all do, but nobody really notices. You know, we do everything wrong. So we, we practice hurting people, but we make sure that our training partners don't get hurt. So, uh, which is a good thing. So, so one of the things that Kat enables us to do, it allows us through to visualize that forearm hitting face at full speed and power. 
um, you know, that, 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 that throat squeeze been enacted to its full end, you know, that thumb really been pushed into the eye. So you don't have to do kata, but for those of us that do, it provides a syllabus, it provides a supplementary form of solo practice, and it gives us a way to visualize things within full intent, which will hopefully correct the fact that in most partner training, we're not doing it with full intent. We're always got our partner's safety at the back of our minds. So let's just jump down that first one a little bit. When you say provides a syllabus, what do you mean? Because if I'm doing uh, the Tiger Crane form from Hungar Kung Fu, that would be a different syllabus, obviously, than if you're doing, I don't know, Sunshine or something. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, well, I, if I start with like, the first kata that my guys learn is uh, Pinan Shodan, which, which translates to safe from harm level one. And the first three movements of that show you how to get to a guy's jaw, to hit a jaw, depending on where his arm is on that center line. Is it high, middle, or low? So, 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 so we learn that skill first. Once you've done that, the next thing that kata teaches is how to get your forearm to hit his neck, whether the arm is left or right. You know, so, it, and, and you see, and then the next thing it teaches a little bit about unbalancing, which it builds on later on. So when we tend to look at the, the, the forms and when we analyze them, um, it starts with something uh, that will lesson A, if you like, that then progresses to lesson B, that then progresses to lesson C. And it, it's giving uh, examples of the kind of things that you're supposed to learn. So it's not supposed to be the, the entirety of practice. It's supposed to be an illustration of the kind of things they want you to practice. So it's like, like maths books. You know, if you do like, like a maths textbook, it'll say, okay, here's how to do, here's how to multiply two fractions together. Here's a couple of examples. Now go play and you've got the idea, go and work out rest for yourself. So the cut is the central spine of what we learn for, for that side of things. Okay. So then you're, you're saying that there would be sort of, well, to use your example there, that that kata would be teaching how to essentially display somebody's arm depending where it is, high, medium, low, left, right, and still hit them. So that's the central lesson of that kata. Of, of the early part of that form, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, that, so then what you do is you, you do, because uh, it's part of a whole series. So by the time we get to the end of the kata, we, it's got shoulder throws and all that kind of stuff. But it starts with the basics and then moves up. So if we said, okay, let's do away with the kata, let's, let's dump it, but we've still got all these techniques, well, you still have to order them somehow. And, and the, order, the kata already provides that order, so there'd be an element of reinventing the wheel, you see, if we were to dump it. But, but again, to be clear, you know, I, I, I have good friends and training partners who have abandoned kata and it's not their thing and they do just fine. But for, for those of us that do, that's one of the roles it provides is for the, the um, traditional element, if you like. It provides a syllabus, sure. it provides a structure, yeah. Sure. I, and we're not, we're, I'm really just quiz, questioning and quizzing you about the combative aspects of kata because if somebody wants to do this for enjoyment, for meditation, for cultural appreciation, you know, if they really, really like the culture of Indonesia and they want to learn all the gurus and all the lankas and they just think it's cool that they're doing the same thing that somebody in Indonesia is doing, I've got zero argument with that. So really, I think the only area in which we're having the discussion, but we should make it clear that we're limiting it to this area, is the combative aspects because the cultural aspects I suspect we're like, hey, that we're on the same page there. If you want to do this for cultural reasons, fill your boots. If you want to do this because it makes you happy, fill your boots. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, no objection to that at all. As long as people are clear why they're doing it. So if they are doing it because if I find them fun to learn and I find them enjoyable, then then that's fine. 
Uh, and if that's all they're doing for, for me, there's, there's definitely an element of that, you know, um, mm -hmm. but I find them of combative value as well, if that makes sense. So that's why I, I like an art with Cater in it, because it, it fulfills both of those needs for me. Um, I find them enjoyable to do. I like the way they make my body feel. Um, the culture and history of it interests me. But, but sure. I also believe that they do have a combative use too. And yeah, obviously that's the focus of this, this, this conversation. Now, when it comes specifically to karate, I find that a lot of the kata are very stiff. They really emphasize the, the, what we used to call focus or the, uh, the freezing in position at the end of a move, the, the snap, which you actually... I think don't serves against can work against you in certain aspects when you're sparring. If I try to move stiffly like that when I'm doing, I don't do much uh, full contact stand up sparring. Most of my sparring now is jujitsu, but back in the day, I didn't find that that snapping, freezing, focusing movement served me very well at all. And the more fluidly I moved, the more I moved essentially like a boxer, like a kickboxer, like a Thai boxer, now like an MMA guy, the better my sparring was objectively in the sense that I got hit less and I hit the other guy more. So where does that freezing, I, I, maybe there's a better word for it in, in your lexicon, but I think everybody knows you know, when they visualize the karate guy going through the kata and the freezing, where does that serve you and how does that not... Uh, undermine you actually yeah well, well it, it can undermine you if you're not careful so there's um uh there's a uh, if i can just I'll, I'll reference it back so um so this isn't like a hopefully doesn't come across as a an appeal to authority but because it's nice to refer to the guys who formulated the art and what they thought they were doing when they did this so when it when it comes to stances you know so that that's what for those, I'm sure most people have seen a karate kata, but you're right, there's a, an explosive movement, there's a locking where they're still, and then there's an explosive movement again. So there's this, this freeze framing. Um, people tend to use the word kime for it, but I don't believe that's a correct use of the word kime, you know, but um, to me that's efficient movement and, and that freeze framing's not. So um, there's, uh, Gichin Funakoshi said, he said, um, beginners use stances, advanced students use natural postures. And that was explained by a guy called Genwa Nakasone who came out with this phrase where he said, karate has many stances, it also has none. So, so when we're looking at the kata, the, the, the kata is the map, it's not the terrain. So what it tends to do is it tends to uh, freeze frame in certain positions because what it's, it's trying to do is say, this is how your body weight needs to be at this particular point in order to get maximum efficiency for, for this given technique. Because, um, you know, for mo most experienced people move their body weight intuitively. But, but what, what the kata is doing there is it's mapping it out. You know, this is, if you're in this stance, your body weight will have moved in this direction. So it's the body movement that, it, that is key, not the freeze framing. As I always say to my own students, there's only two things still in a fight. That's unconscious people and people who are about to be unconscious. So, you know, <laughs> we, we, you know we always want that, that, that continuous movement. Um, and, and the cat is kind of like, it's like the map, but it's not the terrain. So it's, it's important that people realize th that, you know, it's, 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 a, it's emphasizing, you know, at this point you want to freeze frame. At seminars, I, I, I might not work on a podcast, but, but I demonstrate what I call my golf swing cutter. So I say, you know, I've, I've had like one lesson in golf, <laughs> um, but as I understand sure. it, it was important. To I think it's a useless sport. So let's, 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 uh, <laughs> I know nothing about it. So let's go ahead and uh, we've dissed on hockey. Let's diss on golf.
<laughs> well, this, this is where the podcast will help, because when I have to demonstrate this, it becomes very obvious that I have no idea what a golf swing should be. But as I remember, when my friend took me through the basics, uh, when I'm hitting it, it's, it's either weakly or it's sliced left or right. And, and then he was trying to get me, he said, look, it needs to be at this position when you take the club back. You need to be at this position at the point of contact. And when you finish, this is the position you need to be in. So it kind of maps out three positions that I need to hit. So if I was to make a golf swing cutter, I might go like one, two, three. And I would hit each of those postures and freeze frame it for a second to say, you need to hit this point. So the lesson isn't lost, if that makes sense. But when I come to hit a golf club, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go one, two, three. You just swing it fluidly. So, so the stances are the same. We're supposed to fluidly move to them and through them, not lock on them. So if, if cutter is all that people do, so they're just looking at the map and they never get out on the terrain, that, that can definitely be a problem that they get. And I, and I do see um, uh, karate guys have that problem, that they, they keep locking and freeze-framing. And in application, we shouldn't. We should hit these postures, but we should flow right, right through them. And the key is to understand that the cutter is not, it's the map. You know, it's not the terrain you're walking on. And then turning it into the train or making that transition is the stuff that you've talked about before, the, stu- you know, the, the, the live training or the uh, using it in application. That's right. So then what you do is you'd say, right, so this is the, the stances as they appear in the form. Uh, right, grab a partner, right? This is, I want you to make sure those three postures, I want you to make sure you hit all of those three postures in this movement. And if you need to slow it down and you need to freeze frame it while you're getting it, that's fine. But ultimately, I want you to see you hit all three of them continuously with no stop. So, so you, you, you're constantly uh, transitioning uh, through them. And then when they've got that done with the partner, you say, right, okay, now you've got those skills. Let's move it onto the pads. Let's move it into various partner drills. Let's move it into various contested drills. And hopefully it'll, it'll uh, progress from there. Because the danger is, you see, the stances are supposed to be means to an end and they've become an end in themselves yeah, which is, is, is problematic they're also they're supposed to be about shifting body weight then they're not supposed to be static fixed postures and, and, <laughs> and yeah and i think part of the problem we've got with that as well is uh, this is a little historical aside is when you had two or three masters training in a backyard you know so b- back in karate's dim and distant past you'd have two students one instructor training in a backyard typically late at night so you, you can that, that'll work for you when you move it to i've now got 70 university students in a room and i've got one teacher so what how do i know that they're moving correctly well everybody stop right i can look at where you've stopped at and that will give me an indication of where you've moved if your front leg isn't bent enough you didn't move your weight forwards enough and because of that shift and that teaching issue then it becomes more freeze framing and, and and static you see so yeah so i think that's 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 part of the fact that as it moved to being spread wholesaling universities that's Mass production. Got worse and worse yeah yeah and and, and 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 it's easy for us modern karate to look back at that and go i wish they'd never done that because it caused problems that we've had to spend years on doing but the fact is if they hadn't it wouldn't have caught the japanese zeitgeist and therefore it wouldn't have spread the rest of the world either so you know it, it, the, no one would have heard of karate if they didn't do those things so we've just got to <laughs> correct yeah i'm thinking i'm thinking back to my days in in the northern kung fu systems where you'd have a form that would be i don't know 30 40 moves long and you'd hold each of the stances in a super low like we're talking horse stance with a thigh parallel to the ground uh front stance with a front thigh parallel to the ground cat stance where your you know your hips are you know a foot or two off the ground, really low stances, you'd hold each one of those for 30 to 40 seconds. And so your legs would be shaking. It was really a leg endurance exercise. And you'd be left there wondering, like, how the hell am I... Forget about the ridiculous hand positions. 
how the hell would I ever use this uh, stance in a fight? And the answer is you really never, ever, ever would. Uh, at best, you could argue it was a form of isometric bodyweight leg training. But somebody should have said that. And, and honestly, you could have gotten all those benefits in one set of barbell squats as opposed to wasting 25 minutes on a single form of holding low stances. Yeah, and you see this. I think what happens is, of course, like from the karate perspective, you had this this generation that were, okay, you're, you've well done, you're in the university, you've got four years to learn everything, then we want to throw you out into the big wide world and teach it. We're going to stick you on a plane as a first dan, you're going to land as a fifth dan, now we want you to be an expert who shares this with everybody. So what you've got is you've got this superficial learning where they didn't really fully understand what they were doing and they were teaching a modernised version of it. So, you know, if you're going to teach someone for 20 years, what do you do? Will you obsess about pointless technical details? You know, whether the thumb's bent at 90 degrees or 91 degrees, you know. And, and then also you create busy work, you know, like, like that, you know, hold your stances for 40 minutes, you know, and the meaning will be... It's lazy teaching. Yeah, that, that's it, yeah. Because, because the, the, it, it's, it's, it's busy work, that, that's what it is. Because they've, they've got nothing else to fill the time with, you know. If, if they were given... Um, a few years worth of material once they've got past that point well what do they do and, and unfortunately what it seems it happened in the kung fu world too what you get is you get people okay well we'll just you know yeah do the, the form i've taught you but do it again and again and again but do it really slow in really low stances and do stuff that again that is as you say you know has no demonstrable functional benefit so you know what's the point don't do it if, it, if it's been shown to, to you know to have no value what about this Thing and I've seen it in the kung fu systems, and I've also seen it in some of the uh, the Rikyo Kempo systems um, of the over extrapolation and the over interpretation of movements. That okay, if you take this move and then you run it backwards, like the ancient Okinawan masters were so secretive that this movement only makes sense if you do it backwards, and instead of I don't know. Bending your legs and straightening your arms, you actually bend your arms and straighten your legs. But it's there. It's hidden in there. Uh, this, And then you have these people who are trying, you know, making good faith efforts to excavate and interpret and fill in the blanks. And they're essentially creating, and as far as I'm concerned, a completely new system uh, from scratch because they're, they're desperately trying to dream up interpretations for these obscure movements. Have Have you seen that or... Like, how do you how do you know what the right interpretation of a movement is? Yeah, well, well, and, well, and that 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 I think that that goes back to the thing we were saying before about the mythology that people sometimes like a, a mythology. People like to know that you know that they're like a character in a Darren Brown novel. Do you know what I mean? That they know the real truth and everyone else has missed it. You know, it's hidden away in there. They they are the Indiana Jones of Cata. You know. Um, <laughs> you know, and you see this, you know, the other ones, you know, like, you know, that if, if I touch my body with this hand, it means that I'm really supposed to be hitting my enemy there. And like you say, and there's, you know, you've got these things that get reversed and, and, and things like that. I, I think, again, what that's trying to do is it, it's trying to infer some hidden knowledge that other people wouldn't know. And therefore, if you are the possession of that hidden knowledge, you're therefore superior to those who wouldn't be. But, but there's no way the cutter would be created like that because... One is it wouldn't serve your purpose. If part of it is to be a supplementary form of solo practice, then doing something forwards when in application you do it backwards makes doesn't really make 
any sense or you know if you're m- mapping out an arm movement with your legs or hitting yourself instead of hitting them it wouldn't it wouldn't make any sense and the other thing is there's absolutely no historical precedent for that so for, for, from to answer the secondary question about you know how do you know if it's right well for my thing i think you know there's, there's kind of a few key things an application needs to do for, for, for me to deem it valid is that it, um, it needs to fit the form without adaptation, you know. So you can get adaptation like, well, the guy's a bit taller, so my arm's going a bit higher. That's fine. But if they're radically, sure, sure. Altering, the, radically altering the motion, then that's not correct, you know. So it should fit the form. Um, it should uh, not be at variance with anything the classical generation said about it. So they gave us, um, like, hints and tips and you know give us guidance on how kata should work we shouldn't ignore that you know um because they were the guys who were practicing as a combative system so their insights are going to be useful and then and the third and the most important thing it has to be demonstrably functional so if, if it fits the form if it fits what the old masters told us about the form and it's demonstrably functional we, we can say that it's correct now also it's a little bit like science you get competing theories sometimes but so long as that theory yields workable results it can be viewed as being correct until something comes along and overturns that theory, you see. But anything like that where they're going, you know, this movement has to be done backwards or da-da-da-da, um, you know, I'm not a believer in that. And the other one, which is probably not controversial for you, but might be controversial for my audience, not a great believer in this idea of, you know, the meridians and the order you hit them in and all that kind of stuff. Again, there's no historical precedent for that at all. And it seems to me to be making things needlessly complicated and inefficient. So, but, um, so, yeah, that one comes up as well. You know, th- these movements are in this order because fire melts metal and metal cuts wood and all that kind of stuff. There's, there's, there's not, no historical precedent for that. Oh, you've trained in Xingyi Kung Fu. Oh, th- oh right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's may- maybe where some of the, the karate guys got it from. But the, the fact, you know, like, I, I remember, like, like um, first time I trained with, with uh, Jeff Thompson, who some of people know through his books and stuff like that. I mean, he walked, yeah. he walked around the room and punched every single one of us in the jaw because he wanted us convinced that getting punched in the jaw would knock you out, right? So, but, but when he did that, there was no mention of any esoteric forces or different types of elements or anything like that. It was when I, I hit this, people pass out. You know, and, and I think you know, we don't need to make it any more complicated than that. And people do <laughs> seem to love complex, complexity and um, inferring this hidden knowledge, you know? Well, everybody wants, I think you got to it, and it's the same reason people love conspiracy theories that, you know, uh, what's a great, um, Ian, did you know that the moon is hollow, and the moon is hollow, and it's actually an alien base for a, a race of superior involved, superiorly involved intellects from Alpha Centauri who've come here to take us up to the next level of knowledge. And this is just our little secret, and because you, only you and I, and a few select members of our disciples know this. We have special power. We have special knowledge that other people don't. And so even though we both work at McDonald's, when we have a job, we're special. So it's this idea that um, hidden knowledge makes you special, makes you a somebody, makes you powerful. I, I think that's that's part. It's a very cynical approach. But, I mean, it, you got to keep in mind, I was raised in the classical Kung Fu systems where I would say the movement's, I mean, I'm sure karate movements can be obscure. The application of a, a rising block might be a little bit obscure, but kung fu is obscure. I mean, I'm, I'm, yes, all kung fu. I'm going to lump it all together. <laughs> you know, we take tai chi, right? I mean, all these tai chi movements supposedly have applications, but they're pretty bloody obscure, and there's a lot of interpretation that's required, and 
yes, yes, they left out this part and they overemphasize this part. And it's a, it's an interesting process how people try to assign meaning and, a, a, you know, have hidden, uh, have hidden knowledge in there and feel better about themselves through that. Yeah. And, and did you, we can just, Dump all that. I mean, the, the, one of my favorite things that, that, that I, I enjoy when, when I'm teaching seminars, the, the, the bit I always really like is if I show someone, uh, okay, here's a, a, an application to a form or a drill base on, on, on a cutter. If I get them slapping the foreheads in like, well, why didn't I see that? That's obvious. That, that's the reaction I want. You know what I mean? So I'm not presenting anything that, that, where they go, oh, I would never have seen that in a million years. The instant you show it, they go, yep, obvious, super simple. What, why didn't I see that? Th that that's the reaction that I'm, I'm going for. Because um, it, it should be blindingly obvious. And, and I think as well, once you start to view them in the right way, if I'm only talking about the karate forms here because that's the only knowledge I've got, but um, they, they, you, you do get, you're able to read them better and, and you, they, they do become a little bit more um, uh, obvious um, as, as to, to, to what's going on. But um, So then what do you use as your North Star to say, yes, this works, no, this doesn't? You, you, you think you found a new application for a, a cross step and a double low X block. I'm making that up. I'm sure it's in some form somewhere. How do you then know, yes, this is valid, no, this isn't? Like, well, and, and, that, that, and that's where the life, well, that's where the life practice comes in. Because, mm -hmm. you know, so, so if, if you're doing live practice and you work it in there and this technique constantly fails, uh, then you would go, okay, that doesn't work. And then, of course, you know, I, 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 I don't know if you're allowed to swear on this court podcast yeah go ahead yeah i'm just gonna say okay. it's what i call my bullshit filters you know if people do a lot of live empirical drilling then, then they have good bullshit filters so when somebody shows them something they go that wouldn't work and they just know it wouldn't work because of the prior experience that they've got so it, it sometimes you know I, I see things presented and i just nah, that's there's just no way in a million years that that's going to survive testing and, and i think that, that that's a key thing and, and this is something that that, 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 that again get ready for some hardcore blasphemy here, right? But this is something that the traditional arts don't do as well as they should, is that they, they don't test uh, in the way that they should and, and in the way that they did. So if you like, like Motobu always said um, uh, that they would practice kata and kumite, which is like sparring and fighting side by side. Funakoshi said that um, uh, um, sparring, is not, um, sparring should not be practiced apart from the kata, but for the practice of the kata. Um, 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 Motobu again said that um, uh, kumite, which is sparring, is an actual fight where we use the techniques of the kata to grapple with an opponent. You know, they, they were all about, you know, it has to be tested, it has to be tested. And then unfortunately, it, that has been lost and of course if you test things very quickly you get an idea on what works and what doesn't you see and to me that's when kata gets exciting because you, you start to see appreciate its value a bit more you know yeah. well i like the fact that you said live testing because if we dream up some crazy application and we don't have any independent way of figuring out if this works and if i'm not resisting your motion we could invent again some crazy application that seems entirely reasonable if we don't have the experience of trying this against somebody who's really not trying to let it happen to them. And, uh, I mean, we end up with this in Aikido and a lot of Aikido people, you know, they, I mean, they kind of skip the kata part of it, but then they go directly to the quote application, right? I come in with my knife hand strike and then I'm going to grab it and I'm going to do an outside wrist twist and you're going to go flying through the air. So they spend all their time in, application but then as soon as they try it against an application against somebody who doesn't want to let them do it to them it becomes almost impossible i'm not going to say impossible because i 
I have had some high-level Aikido guys who were very gifted with physical attributes, like a grip from hell, come close to pulling this stuff off. And all of a sudden it went from, you know, a friendly sparring session to, oh my God, you're not going to fucking get that on me. <laughs> um, but they definitely have my full attention. So I'm not going to say it will never work, but it's, it's almost never going to work. And I think they, they, they're missing the live component of it. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. And, and, and not that I'm that um, or fair with those circles, but I believe within some, within the Aikido community, there's an acknowledgement of that and that they're looking at ways to um, uh, correct it. Yeah, but I, I think that there the, the does, the does need... And, and again, I mean, I, I, there's nothing wrong with doing something for the, the art of it and the enjoyment of it and anything else. But, but, um, or, or even just learn the technique because it's fun to do. But when it comes to, okay, we, we believe that we can functionally use this against a contesting uh, person, then that needs to have been proven. So one of the phrases I always say is, if you haven't done it live, you haven't done it. And, and one, of, one of the uh, counter-arguments that sometimes traditionalists put forward is all oh, the techniques of the cat are too deadly. They're too deadly. Yes. To, 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 to do with, with, with a person, which is, is not correct. You know, you, there's, there's, there's ways in which you can... Cause, cause the, okay, so pick a deadly technique and show me how you can train it. Uh, I, like eye gouge or throat rip or... Yeah, well, uh, absolutely. So some, something like that. Because what, what, like, what we do uh, in, in training, so you'll say... And, and I do this, do this all the time. One of the things I'll do in seminars, I'll say, right, we're going to do a type of sparring. We're going to start off with sparring. It's all going to be close range. You're allowed to headbutt, knee, elbow, bite, grab the groin, eye gouge and throat grip. And, 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 and unless they've trained with me before, they know where I'm going. If they haven't, they look terrified. You know, like, like he's, he's, we're going to do what? And, and then and every single one of them, I show how you can drill it and you can do it live. So if you take, for example, um, the eye gouge. So we'll say, right, we, we are going to um, include, and, and, and again, let's just be clear, an eye gouge isn't deadly. It'll help you create some space, and that's about it, right? But, but, but they're the ones that people normally point to when they say, say deadly. But, so what you say mm -hmm. is, right, okay, when we're working at close range, I am going to put my thumb just above your eyebrow and press into your forehead. Now, if I could have got my thumb there, I could have got it an inch below there. And when I touch the, the forehead hard, you have to deal with it. You can't ignore it. You know, I've, I've got my thumb stuck in your eye. You need to react to it. So, so you can just, just in, introduce that rule that if you touch the thumb above the eye, then they have to react. For the throat grab, I won't actually grab the throat, but I'll put my hand around the neck. So, and I won't squeeze. But if I, could get, if I could get my hand there, I could have squeezed it. For the, for the groin, we often use the belt knot. So if I, if I grab the belt knot, that's your testicles being crushed. And, and you, you should deal with that. And then for biting, we just use snapping the teeth. So if I snap my teeth near a body part for you, you have to withdraw it away from the, the snapping of the teeth. We don't actually physically bite. You know, mm -hmm. you don't put those things in all the time, you know, but, but, but if you're drilling those specific things, then you can include them in such a way. And then, and then people say about neck cranks as well, you know, there's like it's certain ones. Well, okay, you know, I might not want to twist a guy's neck with force, but if we're, we're sparring and we're playing, if I can get my hands to the top of your head and your chin, we'll count that I could have neck cranked you, you know, so you, you can do that way as well, you see. Okay. Uh, this sounds like really interesting stuff. How much pushback do you get? from the traditional karate community, you've, you've alluded to it a few times, but I don't know, is that an occasional thing or is that a, uh, a constant thing? It's um, uh, less than it was, but still significant is probably, probably the, the best way to, to put it. So um, I, I think uh, the, I mean, it's because it's not just me, there's me and, and lots like, might like me, but in, in the UK in particular, I, I see it a lot in Germany as well now. 
uh, Denmark, Norway. There's, there's more and more people wanting to practice karate in this way. Ironically, a kind of modern traditionalism, if that isn't an oxymoron. <laughs> you know, but, but, but they kind of see it and, and, and they understand that it's got the traditional roots, which they like, but they can understand the pragmatism and the openness of it. And for those people, they tend to see it and run with it. You do get some who are very dogmatic, almost religious about it, you know, that... Um, no, I have the one true truth and you are a blasphemer and therefore, you know, you should be, <laughs> if not burnt at the stake, at yeah. least ignored. Excommunicated. You know I mean? yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Excommunicated. But, but for, for my view is, and I think is I'm not, I just want, I, I like karate. I do like it. There's something about it that appeals to me. And I, and I want it to be good and I want it to be the best it can be and I want it to be relevant. And what, once people realize I'm not trying to rip it down, I'm trying to build it up. And we don't serve ourselves by ignoring our own faults and shortcomings. We need to shine a bright light on them and do something about it. Th th that's, that's when, you know, the, the arts do the best. And again, that's something, you know, like you think of arts like judo and boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I mean, they do this really well. You know, there's, there's, if something's not working, it instantly gets kicked out. But the traditional arts sometimes hold on to that dogma a little bit more. And for those people that are adamant they want to hold on to it, um, yeah, the, the, you do get, quite some strong pushback when i first started writing it was it was stronger than it is now um mm. so I, I'm, I'm confident that given another well your, your hope is to make myself redundant <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I i have faith in human uh, stubbornness uh, so I, I don't think you're going to ever succeed in your goal to make yourself redundant yeah well I, I see for example in the uk the groups that practice karate in this way and are more open to it tend to be the ones that are uh setting the agenda let's let's put it that way and they are the mm. ones growing in number staying more relevant yeah correct because the other thing as well is of course which you, which you said about the wonderful thing about youtube is so some orange belt in a dojo when i started you had an occasional martial arts magazine if you could find one an occasional book if you stumbled across one in the bookstore that was it but 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 now some some orange belt can type in um cutter applications and if he's been taught, you know, very formal guy attacks from eight points along the compass points with formal lunge punches, within minutes he'll find something that, that is, I would say, demonstrably more pragmatic. So he walks back into his dojo, why are we doing this? It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I, I think that the fact that information is easier to spread now, we're in a better position to provide the alternative than we've been uh, previously. And, 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 and I, I do see... Well, for example, you know, on the seminar side of things, I'm, I'm fully booked for about the next 18 months now. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, Oh, that's amazing. Good for you. Yeah, no, I'm really pleased about it. But, uh, but And that's because there is that demand, you know. So this is uh, from people who, you know, okay, we want to get a hang of this and we want to get going. And it's, it's not just me either. I mean, there's, there's people um, of my ilk. I mean, I mean, maybe one of the more active on social media, but there's a lot like me. And, and they're, you know, experiencing the, the, the same things, you know, so there's a, a bit of a, a movement going. And, and again, going back to what you're saying, that's one thing I think we've got MMA to thank a lot for for that because it just opens people's eyes. It's, a, you know, there's a demonstrable demonstration of function. And if you think you're going to block a kick with your hand on your hip while in front stance, we've got news for you. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd love to uh, continue this conversation down the road. And, and I really hope we will, maybe in person. I've never been to the UK. It's one of the places I want to go so badly. And uh, I've flown over it many times, but one day I will actually touch down. And then uh, I, I'd love to make you part of the uh, the UK experience, along with all the, the typical tourist things and the Tower of London and, you know. Uh, yeah, well, it's a small country, you know, especially compared yeah. to Canada. So if, you, if you're ever, ever over here, it'd be easy to meet up. So, but I, I have to. I mean, it's funny how Europeans are, are, you know, held back by a two-hour drive, whereas a lot of Americans, Canadians are just 
Oh, two hour drive. Yeah, that's that's my commute. That, that's I always my like daily. That. Is yeah, the, yeah, the Americans yeah. where they say that in America uh, um, a hundred years is a long time, and in Europe a hundred miles is a long way. Yep, that's I've never heard that before, but that's a hundred percent true. Um, but okay. I, you know, I, I, so, I've enjoyed this this, this um, conversation, and, and thanks ra- for, for round, it's all round one of a conversation. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, so, and and uh, I, um, uh, I, I, think, I think I mentioned you in the emails to this. You know, we have a, a newsletter here for the group, and, and you're a constant feature of our newsletter. Oh. I like to include some uh, <laughs> a, a, um, uh, every week, and we put a newsletter together that goes out to all the membership membership of the British Combat Association. It's Jeff Thompson's and Peter Constein's group, and I have a, an active role in that. And, and we do have, you know, people who are really into the groundwork and stuff. So I always try and include some some stuff for that. So your YouTube channel provides that weekly content. I just type Stefan Kestin into um, YouTube, share your latest video. So you saved me a lot of work. So I appreciate well, well, that. Well, well, perhaps I should uh, uh, produce the Stefan Kesting voodoo dolls so I can sell them to all the people who are busy maligning me uh, for maligning, you know, uh, from maligning the supposedly maligning the traditional martial arts. If people want to attend your seminars or follow you on social media, just give us a rundown of that because certainly uh, this is going to be quite intriguing to a number of my listeners. Yeah, so um, uh, well, it's um, uh, at uh, Ian Abernethy, but Ian spelt the Scottish way, so it's I A I N A B E R N E T H Y. So. Uh, Facebook, um, Instagram, and Twitter—just just my name is probably the easiest way to, to to find all of that, and then you can see what we're we're up to and, and what we've been doing. Okay, and you've also got an active YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, there's uh, there's, there's YouTube as well. So I think my, my name should bring it up, but it goes on the name of uh, uh, Practical Katabunkai. So I think there's about uh, two hundred and so. Um, videos on there of, of various bits and pieces. So yeah, again, that might be useful for people. Um, if, 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 I just had, there's one video called like, "The Four Stages of Kata," which I think if people want to watch that, if they're, they're totally new to this idea, that might be a good starting point because it kind of sets it all out, and then you know people can explore the rest of it. And so, so that's your that's your gateway drug. That, that's correct. Yeah. And if anyone wants to get in touch, it's uh, emails Ian spelt the same way at ianabernethy.com as well. That's my direct email address. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Ian, and keep on fighting the good fight. Yeah, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Podcast listeners, if you found this interesting or useful or entertaining, please pass this episode on to somebody else in your social circle or in your training circle. Surely there's somebody else out there who would also find it interesting. This is the way the podcast grows. It's an organic growth by people like you pass it on to their friends and the people that they know. I really, really appreciate this kind of sharing. So thank you so much in advance and good luck with your training.